It's easy to lose sleep when you're worried about your health insurance plan. But when you have a family counting on you to take care of them, having the right coverage is more important than ever. Anthem Health Keepers plans can help. With low to no cost coverage for you and your family. So you never go it alone. That's our anthem. Click to learn more. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome to this On The Verge bonus episode. This is Zach Spedden joined by Nick Stevens, and we're going to give you a quick recap of the 2022 Rule 5 draft, which just took place earlier in the day on Wednesday. And it saw the Orioles select Andrew Politi in the Major League phase of the draft while selecting three players in the Minor League phase, as well as losing three prospects. And we're going to get into all of that on this bonus episode of On the Verge. But we'll start with Andrew Politi, the player the Orioles chose from the Boston Red Sox. Politi spent the 2022 season between AA Portland and AAA Wooster, throwing 69 and a third innings while striking out 83 batters against 22 walks. Most of that time was spent in Wooster, where Politi had a 2-4-1 ERA in 56 innings pits and 63 strikeouts. Some reports uh, suggest that Politi has a fastball that runs in the mid-90s and touches the upper 90s to go with a developing curveball and a pretty effective slider. He apparently moved away from a changeup that had not been as effective of a pitch for him in the past leading up to 2022, leading to what was a good turnaround for him after struggling in the rotation at Portland in 2021. So, Nick, I'll start with you. What are your first impressions on Politi? Uh, I don't mind it. I think there were definitely a lot of intriguing options that we talked about with Vivek on Monday show that I was really hoping would fall to the Orioles. And I think most of those guys got taken Thad Ward, Kevin Kelly, some of the other guys, but I like Politi. Um, yeah, I think on baseball America's blurb in their rule five draft preview, which shout out to those guys had like a hundred something names in that preview, but they noted that Politi was just one of three pitchers. Read this quote here from Baseball America's article. Uh, one of three pitchers available in the Rule 5 draft who logged 60 or more innings 
posted a strikeout rate north of 30%, a walk rate lower than 10%, and a ground ball rate north of 45%. So pretty good numbers there. A lot of those things that we talked about again on Monday night that we like to see. I'm going to guess he's pretty strictly like a relief option, like a mid-relief type guy. I don't know if – I don't really saw a whole lot in a lot of the reports because I've never watched him pitch. I don't know if you ever know, but I've never watched him pitch, so I'm learning about him tonight. Uh, but it sounds like it's pretty much strictly a relief option. But um, you know, if you can run that fastball up to 97 miles an hour, it seemed like the slider was an interesting pitch, and we know that the Orioles obviously worked with a lot of guys on, on the slider. So if that he finds something there, becomes a more useful pitch. I did see the uh, Pitching Ninja highlighted one of his curveballs from spring training this year. That was uh, pretty cool to see. But, yeah, I mean, I think if – you know, you make adjustments to the slider. He becomes most like fastball slider reliever and mixes in the curveball a little bit. He's got the high level minor league experience. You rattled off the numbers there. He's got significant innings logged in the upper levels of the minor leagues. Good success, high strikeouts, low walks, good ground ball numbers. I think it's a solid foundation to build off of him to try to crack this roster. Because again, now the next struggle is can he make the roster and stick with this organization for the whole season? Yeah, and I guess we'll go right to that question. I just did a write-up over at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com recapping the Rule 5 draft from the Orioles side. And I said in that piece that I could see Politi kind of taking over the Joey Crable role if he does end up making the bullpen, where you're probably not going to see him in a lot of high-leverage situations, but he can probably come in, get the ground balls, um, be effective against hitters on both sides of the plate, and can probably – give you more than three outs in an outing. Um, I don't think you're looking at someone who's going to be in a spot starter type of situation, but the idea of him coming in in the fifth or sixth inning and getting you somewhere in the range of four to six outs, I don't think is out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, I like the Joey Crable instance there. Just some guy, and even too, if you need a guy to eat some innings when – you know, maybe it's a bad night for a starter and he gets knocked out early and you need a guy to give you three innings. Just say, go eat it for three innings. Maybe he can be that guy at worst. Um, hoping a little bit more if he does make this roster, obviously. But I just think it's a good foundation that he can build off of. And clearly the organization sees something. I know a lot of the reports that, you know, the fastball wasn't, you know, not a lot of glowing reports about the fastball or any individual pitch, but it seemed like they all work well together. They all play off each other really well. And clearly knowing this organization and what we know about when it comes to pitching and pitching development and what they're looking for, they clearly saw something in the data that they liked that maybe they can build upon. And if they can do that and he looks good and I'm sure he'll be at some camps over the next couple of weeks and look good in spring training. Yeah. You know, maybe there is a, you know, I get the bullpen is the strength of this major league roster as well. So it's a little bit harder to probably crack the, the 26 man roster, but you know, if, if Keegan Aiken gets dealt or Crable gets dealt and we see another one of these, I know Michael Elias is talking about, you know, major leaguer for major leaguer trade. Well, if, maybe if you see some of these bullpen arms, like I think we've talked about this before, did one or two of these guys really overachieve last year? And the Orioles know that, and maybe they try to unload them and then Politi can take that spot, but it's definitely not going to be like a guarantee that he's going to make this 26 man roster. That's for sure. No, not at all. I think if this were a year ago, we would be, you know, penciling him into the opening day bullpen. But the bullpen, with the progress it made last year and the fact that so far you haven't seen any movement out of it, I don't want to say that I don't think he's going to make the roster, but I just think it's going to be a little bit tougher for him. 
than it may have been for some bull five picks in the past. Yeah. And, you know, we'll see. Like, I, I, I just don't, I don't know. I was hoping for more one of like the six, five, the six, seven guys who throw 100, 102 miles an hour where you can see like, all right, this is definitely a guy who they're going to try to put in, you know, in the seventh or eighth inning, work in there with, you know, Felix Batista and Ciano Perez in the late innings of games. Politi's role, it's, I'm interested to learn more and see when the Orioles come out and talk about this pick publicly, what they have to say and how they view him. Cause I think that will go a long way. Well, and better understanding, you know, where he could possibly fit in, but yeah, certainly no guarantee he makes this roster, but you can never have too much pitching. So throw him in there at camp, see what happens at worst. He goes back to Boston and you lose out on what? 20, 30, what thousand dollars, however much it is for these picks. Yeah, the Orioles did not lose any players in the major league phase of the Rule 5 draft. We had talked about this on Monday, so none of us were completely confident they would lose a player, but some of the names we brought up were the likes of Easton Lucas, Nolan Hoffman, Nick Ritzman, Kyle Bronovitz, who's recovering from Tommy John surgery. Ultimately, that does not happen, but we did see some players leave in the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft. That included Jonathan Araruz. Um, who was briefly part of the Orioles Major League roster last year, along with Hector Perez, who pitched for three teams in the Orioles organization last year, topping out at Double A Bowie, and Cody Roberts, a longtime catcher in the system who has a good reputation for his work with the pitching staff, was pretty solid between Bowie and Norfolk last year, but probably just didn't uh, have a lot of room in an organization that has quickly added a lot of catching depth in the last few years. So, Nick, what are your thoughts on these departures? Anything stand out about them? I forgot Jonathan Aruz was still in the organization, to be completely honest. Um, and, of course, he goes to the Mets. I think they've signed three or four guys who were with the Orioles last year. Um, Hector Perez, I actually really liked at one point when he started pitching for Delmarva, I think, for a little bit. And as he worked his way up to Bowie, I really loved his stuff and thought he was a, a real sleeper coming up to this organization. And then he got to Bowie and he would have an outing that just dominated. I think it became Bowie's closer for a big chunk of the like late part of the season, if I remember correctly. But he would have a ninth inning where it would get really ugly really quick. And then he'd have an outing where it was just lights out, dominant, three up, three down, real quick, couple strikeouts. So I think it's just inconsistencies with Perez. He's not someone I'm you know mad about losing. Roberts, that one's just interesting. Uh, I'm glad he's going somewhere. I'm glad the Phillies see something in him. I, I said he's kind of been this underrated guy. I think he was a frequent taxi squad member too last year. So clearly the Orioles just didn't view him as a nobody, but a lot of clutch hits. I remember the Bowie playoffs was that year before last. Uh, he was the man down there for Bowie. So it's it's sad to see him go because I, I feel like he had, a like you said, a really good reputation and good defensive catcher. Decent offensive skills. I mean, he had a 348 on base percentage in 80 games last year. So wish him the best of luck. But I, I was more worried that we were going to lose some bigger name pitchers, but I'm glad they're all still around. Yeah, it did feel like with the depth they had now, that AAA roster was not made public. But you did, you know, when you looked at the amount of depth the Orioles had, it, it felt like, okay, are they going to find room for everybody? And ultimately, I think the fact that Perez goes, 
it's a tough loss. And I know and it almost feels like a baseball cliche now to say like, oh, he's going to the Rays. He'll be in the bullpen in October. But, you know, I think that there were probably losses I would have been more concerned about than Perez. Um, it's interesting. Perez, is, you know, actually has some major league time. He had one appearance with the Blue Jays in 2020, and he was part of the Reds organization in 2021, topping out at Louisville. So this is a guy who has been around for a while, but trying he'll try now to build off of some promise in 2022. We'll go now to the players that the Orioles picked up in the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft. And we'll go one by one here just to help our listeners get a sense of who these players are. And I'll start out with Alfred Vega, who will turn 22 soon and has thrown just 139 to third innings since signing as an international free agent with the Yankees back in 2017. Some Yankees outlets actually saw him as a possible breakout candidate coming into 2022, but ultimately he dealt with an injury over the summer and ended up throwing just 15 and two-thirds innings at the Florida Complex League. He was very good in his time with the FCL, 22 strikeouts against just four walks with a 1.15 ERA. Uh, Still looking at a guy that does not have a ton of professional experience, probably going to start out at Delmarva next year. But without knowing a ton about his stuff, it seems like he's an interesting arm. Yeah, he was the first pick, but I feel like the guy that we know the least about in our initial research here, but just because he's only pretty much pitched in the complex league and I don't know what injury it was. I couldn't find anything. I don't know if you did or not, but he did miss most of last season with some sort of injury. But then I saw when he came back, he pitched what 15 or so innings, but, and he won FCL pitcher of the month for like August or so. I think it was August. He won pitcher of the month. So he came back. Yeah. He's 21 years old putting up those really good numbers, 36% strikeout rate versus 6% walk rate, 56% ground ball rate. So small sample size, and he's an older pitcher. But to do that after missing much of the year, uh, I think maybe if this report is true, and it was Eli Fishman uh, at a, was a Pinstripe Pros who wrote that article. He included him, five Yankees prospects to keep an eye on in 2022. And Vega is one of them. So clearly he saw something. Fishman is now the broad, one of the broadcasters for their AA affiliate. He saw something in that stuff. And I think he mentioned the repertoire is, finally here, fastball, sinker, curveball, and slider. So deep repertoire there. If the stuff is as good as he says, then, yeah, I'm going to be really intrigued to watch him. I imagine, I agree, he probably starts in Delmarva. We'll see what Delmarva does. They probably do that you get three innings, the next guy gets three innings type thing. Uh, as they kind of stretch out those younger guys. But, yeah, this is why I love the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft, though. You can get a guy like Vega, who, yeah, he's 21 in the FCL. If he was in the Orioles system at this point, you'd probably say he's there's nothing there if you're 21 still in rookie ball. But if he's got this injury history, this is like a free chance to work with him in your system. There's no roster restrictions. See what happens. If the stuff is really that good, we'll see in Delmarva pretty quickly, I guess. And then the, another player chosen in the Rule 5 draft was catcher Randy Florentino. He p- played with high A Hickory last season and hit 242 as a 331 on base percentage and a 353 slugging percentage across 180 plate appearances and a walk rate just under 12% in that span. 
Florentino was a guy that a lot of Rangers outlets were very intrigued by a few years ago after he had strong offensive output as a teenager in short season ball. He has been unable to recapture that success at higher levels of the system, but you know, it looks like he's got a decent plate approach, draws his fair share of walks. Uh, and if nothing else, you're adding solid depth to take the place of, you know, a guy like Cody Roberts, because you're probably looking at Florentino starting out with either Aberdeen or Bowie next season. Yeah, it seemed like just the offense kind of just is tanked since season started playing a full season ball, looking at the numbers. But and even Eric Longenhagen, I think it was in this year's Rangers list. He had a note there. That said, yeah, in between looks at his looks at Florentino, the offense really regressed. So, I mean, that's not positive, but I don't think the Orioles brought him in for the bat, even though the walk numbers are great. I think you just bring him in. My first thought was like the, the Chris Hudgens pick a couple of years ago. Good defensive guy. If he hits, great. If he doesn't hit, which Hudgens really didn't do much of, it was home run or nothing. But uh, if he hits, great. If you can unlock something, that's really cool. But if not, I just, it's good defensive depth, like you said, come in. He's a good guy that you would probably want to work with your high A, your double A, maybe in some spot starts up in triple A. He's a guy you want working with your young pitchers. So you can't have enough of these guys. And like I said, if the bat clicks, that's great. But if not, he's a third round pick in the minor league phase of the rule five draft. If it's just for one year, he can help out some of the younger arms in the system, then it's worth it. Good pickup. Yeah, and, you know, still just 22 years old. Now, that's not to say that he's going to somehow reverse the offensive downtrend that we've been seeing really going back to 2019. It was 2018 in the Dominican Summer League that he had really good numbers. And then every year since then has been some form of regression. But I think that the idea of him being a solid depth piece is definitely a valid one. So... You know, again, third round in the minor league phase. I think this is a decent pickup. Yeah, and I always wondered, too, because he was a J2 signing. So it looked like 2020, if I'm doing math and looking at all that right, 2020 probably would have been that year where he should have been. That should have been his first full year of, like, pro ball stateside uh, or at least full season affiliate ball. So maybe he was just part of that group that, you know, a lot of people have talked about got hit probably the hardest with the pandemic it's he's at this critical point in his development, everything was clicking. And then he's like, all right, he's ready to go to full season ball. And he has to sit out for a full year. He doesn't get that game. And so now he's playing catch up. And so maybe it's a, a change of scenery, a new organization. He can just hit the reset button, start all over. We'll see, see what happens with him. Yeah, that's a good point. And just to add some context to that, he had 39 games in 2019 in the Arizona league. And then had one game in Spokane, which was then a short season A affiliate for the Rangers. So he may have very well gone back to Spokane had there been a 2020 season. Or he would have been a younger catcher in low A who, if he had repeated there in 2021, it wouldn't have been out of the realm of possibility. So that's a good point. Yeah. Like you said, clearly there's something there. With one of these guys, I mean, all the guys in the minor league phase of the five draft, just if there's a tool that really sticks out and there's any sort of potential you see with them, there's zero harm in picking them up. Because like I said, there's no roster restrictions. I feel like a lot of people are like, "There's what's the minor league phase still? 
Um, we don't even still know, I think, all the rules when it comes to the minor league phase. But I do know, like, once you draft these guys, they're there. They're yours. They're not going to go back to their, their previous team. They're in the organization. You can put them at any level you want to. So why not just bring them in and essentially as a, a free pickup here? Well, and I think that's a good segue to this next pick, Trey Mago, a left-handed pitcher out of the Pittsburgh Pirates system. Coming into this season, Mago ranked 59th on Fangraph's list, which is fairly significant considering how deep the Pirates farm system is. Um, he was going to AAA Indianapolis, looks like a possible breakout candidate, and got off to a good start there, but unfortunately got hurt in May and ultimately had Tommy John surgery. So it's possible that we don't see him on the mound in 2023 or we don't see him on the mound until late in the season. I couldn't quite figure out in my research before we did this show where he is in his rehab. But, you know, I think that it does not hurt in this case to take a flyer on a guy who has very good command. And had he had a healthy season, maybe he cracks Pittsburgh's pitching staff at some point, or maybe he's on the 40-man roster right now. Um, although it's the Pirates, it's hard to say. Uh, and we're not having this conversation. Yeah, I was bummed because Mago was, as I started looking at these guys, Mago was my favorite just because he's a lefty with great command, like you said, and he was right there at AAA. And then when I found out it was Tommy John surgery, it's why he had such limited time in AAA. That was kind of a, a bummer. It looked like it was on June 1st. Um, I already lost it, but apparently I found some somebody has a spreadsheet somewhere out there that has every Tommy John surgery that's happened and when they had it. Uh, so that was a handy little resource, but apparently Mago had his Tommy John surgery on June 1st. So, yeah, like you said, maybe we see him by the end of the year in some complex leagues games. Shout out, Eric. Maybe that's that's going to be our view of Trey next season. Maybe he gets into you know some Aber or Aberdeen Delmarva games, but I just like the report that uh, Fangraphs had of him again. Not a whole lot of information, I feel like, on him, but Longenhagen said called him a bulldog on the mound with plus command. Helps get the most out of his AAA stuff. He's just about as ready as a number six up and down starter, but there may also be more impactful relief utility if his slider ticks up a notch in short stints. So I looked at it as we got enough of those number six up and down starter types. Put him in the bullpen. If it's a slider that needs help, like I just said, how many guys last year improved their slider or the Orioles taught a slider that was really good, not just in the minors, but in the major leagues as well. So make him a fastball slider guy out of the bullpen. And you got a guy who doesn't walk anybody, doesn't give up that many home runs. And hopefully 2024 could be a potential bullpen piece there. We'll see, but I like the walk numbers and I like this idea of uh, he's a guy who once he's back and healthy, he's probably not too far away from the, being able to contribute in the major leagues. What I find interesting, I'm digging into his 2021 game log. He started that season high A Greensboro. And for listeners that aren't aware, Greensboro plays in a band box. It's not Asheville bad, but it's a tough pitcher's park. He was used primarily in relief there and was very good. Um, and then went to Altoona, and every outing of his in Altoona was a start. So after pitching mostly in a multi-inning relief role at Greensboro, he went to Altoona, started, and was very good at double-A. And then five of his eight games this past season got hurt, 
worse starts. So I think the Pirates kind of had their eye to see, could he fit into a relief role? Could he be a starter? And he had been fairly effective at both before the injury. I do agree with you, though, that given the depth this organization has and should have when he's coming back from Tommy John's surgery, maybe putting him in the bullpen would be the best thing for him and for the Orioles. Yeah, I like that idea. And they're not going to work him as a starter when he comes back. They're going to ease him back into this, I'm sure. But clearly, also the fact that he's coming off Tommy John surgery and the Orioles know he's not going to pitch for at least half of the season. I feel like, to me, like that says they were really high on this guy to go ahead and grab him and stash him. Um, maybe in the minor league phase, it's a little bit different. But at the same time, like, RIP to the Pirates. I felt like they had what, like 11 or 12 guys get taken between the major and minor league phase of this draft. They've got a deep system. I don't know how, I think we, I don't know if this was on air or off air last week or on Monday, but I don't know how well they are at really developing these guys, but they can identify the talent and bring them in. So Miguel is one of those guys. Maybe he just needs help finishing off this development aspect of it. And I feel a lot more confident now especially about the pitching development in this organization than I did, you know, two, three years ago. So Miguel can come back healthy this year. I'm, I'm super excited to see what he can do. Honestly, even if you include Politi, I'm probably most excited about Miguel of all four of these guys, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah, I can see that because it feels like Miguel has kind of that high floor, highest ceiling uh, mixed to him that, Pelotti doesn't have and that Vega certainly does not have. So if you're going to look at the pitchers and really all the players taking this draft, there's a valid argument that McGill might be the guy that we're the most excited about, even if he's the one that doesn't provide the immediate payoff the way that Pelotti potentially will. And I'll just throw this out there. Can you imagine if we were a Pirates podcast and we had a 24-hour span where you get the number one pick in the draft lottery? And then you lose all of these players in the Rule 5 draft. And then you remember Key Brian Hayes still hasn't really clipped at the major league level. Yeah, they Pirates fans just might as well get comfortable watching a lot of like LSU games. Just watch Dylan Cruz all year because that's the best baseball that you're going to get. Uh, I do listen to some Pirates po- one Pirates podcast, and they try to get really excited about their offseason. But, man, it's, it's rough out there. Uh, it's rough right now watching Orioles fans uh, react to the offseason. But uh, at least we're not Pirates fans. That's that's all I got to say, because it's I don't know exactly what's going on over there. But I, honestly, though, looking back, yeah, I, the Mago being the most interesting, but I bet give it a couple of weeks. And as we learn more information, I guarantee you what's going to happen is we're going to learn something. Somebody's going to say something. Somebody's going to post something. And it's going to be Vega is like I'm getting like Juan Nunez vibes here that. We didn't really know Juan Nunez, okay, FCL guy. And now we're like, Juan Nunez was probably the bigger piece of that Jorge Lopez deal. Um, Alfred Vega could end up being that guy for whatever reason. I, I feel like he's might get a little overlooked here, but we'll see how this shakes out once the season starts. Yeah, I could see that. And before we wrap up, I do want to go back to the fact that no Orioles were taken in the major league phase of the rule five draft. Um, I know that you were not particularly surprised by that, probably based on, you know, some of our last few episodes. But uh, what are your what's your reaction to that now that the Rule Five draft is officially in the books? 
I'm glad. I'm glad Kyle Branovich is here. That that was one that I did have a little bit of concern about. Uh, and he's, again, just one of those guys where, other than that knuckle curveball, you say, like, what really sticks out with him? And it, it just seems like he's a, this complete package, though, with the command, the knuckle curve, the fastball. It, it plays up because of the delivery and just everything else that goes into his mechanics. And I think Branovich does have that rotation upside. And so I was scared because he seems to be so going along so well in his rehab that if a team knows that if some team has that information, they could say, let's go ahead and pull the trigger there. And, you know, one of these rebuilding teams, you know, nationals or a team like that could say, yeah, we can stash this guy and work with him a little bit. So I'm glad he's there. I really didn't see. I know Greg Cullen was in Baseball America's preview. I didn't really see him getting picked up with so much of the other talent that was available. But I'm also glad the relievers, the Easton Lucas, the Nolan Hoffmans, I want to see Hoffman healthy for a full season and see what he can do. Easton Lucas, I want to see how true this is, these AFL scouts who said he's throwing 95-96 and could be a starter. Like I want to see how much of that comes to, comes to fruition. So I'm just happy all these guys – stick around for another year and we get to see what happens with them. Yeah. And we will have a full reaction on Monday's show when Bob is on with us and we have more time to process the picks and to hear the reaction from the Orioles executives um, and maybe a little bit more insight into what they see in these players. We'll have that on Monday's show along with Kobe Mayo, who will be joining us as our interview guest. In the meantime, though, thank you for listening to this bonus episode for Nick Stevens. This is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to an On the Birds bonus episode. That'll do it for this week's episode of On the Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.